a listener production. Okay, are you recording? Hello, welcome along to episode two of the Howie Games. Firstly, thanks for tuning in and for making the first episode with Adam Gilchrist the number one sports podcast in Australia last week. I told you, everybody loves Gilly. I really appreciate your support. Please subscribe to us and rate the Howie Games on iTunes because apparently, according to the technical gurus, that really helps our cause. All right, today, our second episode of the Howie Games, a multiple world champion, Olympian, fitness campaigner, fast the husband, genuinely good bloke and a fella that you'll realise as you listen to this podcast really breaks down a lot of the stereotypes about boxing and boxers themselves, Danny Green, the green machine. If you get a text message from Greeny, he either always calls you champ or slugger which, to be honest, coming from a man like Danny makes you feel pretty good about yourself. And that's the type of fella he is. He's very warm. He's very engaging. He's like the fella next door. He loves a beer. He loves to spend time with his family. But he's a freak of an athlete. He's so, so mentally strong. We recorded this interview on June the 9th, just before he was about to fight Kane Watts. Now, obviously, he went on and got the job done there and set up a potential rematch with Anthony Mundine. Uh, his thoughts on Mundine in this podcast, they really shocked me. He got really, really emotional. Some of the things he went through for that fight are quite incredible. So keep an ear out for that. But I thought with a fight potentially coming up with Mundine, we better get an update on the phone from Greeny about what's happening between Green and Mundine part two. All right, Greeny, I was in the West Indies. I saw a little bit of that fight v Kane Watts and then I read the fight. Green Mundine is on. Is that official or is that not official? Can you just give us an update? Which is fantastic news. Now, I know these things are pretty fluid. Have you got a general idea, Greeny, of when it may happen? Are we talking the back end of 2016, the start of 2017, maybe? Look, I'd like the back end. I'd like it late November, early December. I'd like it as soon as possible to come off of the last preparation and just to keep the ball rolling. But if that doesn't happen, it'll definitely be early next year, I'd say. Just wait to see what's going on. We've got a few bitches in with a few, a few of the different states and 
Once that's all worked out, mate, then we can get down to the, to the, to the real nuts and bolts of it and start training to, 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 to win this thing. It's extremely exciting. I've got two quick questions for you, Greeny, before we get into the full podcast. One, are you happy with the weight you're going to be fighting at? Oh, look, it could always be heavier. Hmm. You know, it's 83 kilograms. It could always be heavier. I could, you know, do an extra kilo or two because I don't carry much weight at all, mate. I'm always training. I'm always looking after myself. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm happy, yeah. It's, 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 he's agreed to it and um, it should be as fair. He walks around about 80 kilograms now, no problem. So, by the time the fight goes out, he'll be 81, 82. I'll probably walk into the ring at about 85 max. There might be three kilograms, three and a half, four kilograms difference maximum. That's it. Final question. Can you beat him? 100% I'll win the fight. Greeny, you're a superstar. We're going to get into the episode now. Love your work. I think people are going to enjoy this. It's going to be a massive build-up. You've given sports fans around the country a lift. I don't think anyone can wait for Green v Mundine 2. Cheers, <laughs> Harry. Thanks very much, buddy. I hope everyone enjoys the episode. I hope you like the Howie games. Please like it on iTunes. Some more people can hear Daddy's Cool podcast. Peace out. Oh, my Jaja, tell me why. Won't they open up their eyes? They could help out if they try, try, try. If they would try, try, try. They've got to try, try, try. Well, there you go. Green v Mundine 2. It's on. Danny sounds confident last time. He had to fight him at 75 kilos, so he mentioned 83 kilos, so that's a good result for Danny. That's going to be a fight and a half. All right, time now to get into Ep 2 of the Howie Games, Danny Green. It's just great to see a very fit man who loves what he's doing, Danny Green. How are you, Greeny? Good, thanks, Howie. How are you going, mate? Yeah, great, mate. Uh, it's a real treat to have a chat with you on the Howie Games, and we've just been having a chat now. You've been having a coffee. Um, you've just announced a, another fight, which by the time people hear this, you've probably had that fight and you will have dusted him up and you'll be on an ear Hope next so, one. hope so. Uh, but, mate, you were just telling me about the promotion involved in boxing and, and the fact you've done it yourself for a long, long time, which is unusual in the boxing game. Yeah, yeah, it is. I probably, probably started, I think I rambled on for about five minutes, mate. I think it was getting off my chest. You're like my, um, you're like my counsellor, mate. Well, that's what the Thanks, Howie, Howie. Is. We, we, I just play the right of the counsellor. <laughs> and we were on a couch, too. We were. So I wasn't lying down. We weren't lying down. <laughs> um, yeah, mate, it's, it's busy, you know. It's, it's a pretty hectic affair, and I guess... Being a being a fighter, but also having a very very um, you know large role in the promotion and what goes on and managing my, managing my own career, you know, from the publicity down to the venue, down to the, you know, down to the tablecloths on the on the on and the and the and the drinks that get served, you know, I've, I've, I've often had a role, always had a large role in what's how going come, on. How come you haven't handed over to others, which is so often what happens in all sport, but your sport in particular, you have promoters and the Don Kings of the world. Oh, I've had some. So I, I haven't done the whole thing. So I had uh, Green Machine Boxing. Um, you know, I had some very, very good people with me working for a long time. So, but you know, they, they I more haven't had a manager as such. You know, I've been kind of self-managing. As far as promoters go, these guys were responsible for putting the venues together and the shows on and dealing with the TV. So they've had a very large. My mate Justin Manolakis, uh, Mick Pemble was involved for a long time, and then you know a few other people on the way that were involved, Wayne Loxley and Pauline Wilson. These guys, so a, a great crew of people that I knew from before I boxed, and that had nothing to do with boxing. So it was refreshing because they didn't really know the game, and they didn't really, 
you know, they weren't involved in it. And it, it, became, it can become intricate and tricky and a little bit, uh, you know, it can get people like to get fairly precious whereas these people just there to, to, to look after me and do the job and put on the best show possible and without doubt uh, you know Grand Machine Boxing have put out and this I hope this hasn't come off the wrong way but there's not, not, a, not a show that people have been to as far as the fights the promotion the atmosphere it's, it's it, that, that put on that, that that's been exceeded in this country the Roy Jones fight uh, the 18,000 people all standing in unison singing the, uh, the, the anthem yeah. to, uh, to Johnny Williams and he, even he said after, and he gave me a wink in the ring, and even he said after, he says, Greeny, that was an incredible, that was one of the most memorable memorable moments I've had. You know, it was amazing. So these guys put on a great show, but I've, I was involved in all of that, a lot, a lot of it, and involved in, um, in, in in negotiating a lot of my fights personally. And, how, and how does that work, Greeny? How, how does that work? Because there's this thing about boxing that there's been boxers that have fought their guts out and ended up with no money. So what happens when you go in to negotiate a fight it, without giving away state secrets? How does it happen? You know, the purse, who's going to get this? Who's going to get that? The pay TV. Can you give us an indication of how it actually all occurs? Because you've sat there and done it yourself. Angela Hyder was my assistant coach um, when I first turned pro in 2001, and then he became my head coach in 2009. Um, but he's always been with me. So he's been with me the whole way, and he's been the most pivotal guy in my boxing career, my professional boxing career, without doubt. So I, was, oh, I didn't mention him at the start. So he's been my right-hand man for a long time. And, um, you know, he's been responsible for many of the fights put together because he has got the biggest black book of boxing in this country, bar none. Right. And he's got relationships with, with teams all over the world. So, you know, for instance, for the Roy Jones fight, um, he was he knew a guy that was involved with Roy Jones and then before I retired in 2008, late 2007, we were talking about possibly fighting Roy and um, seeing what could be had. And if I won the world title in the light heavyweight division, possibly fighting Roy, Roy would come and fight for it or I'd go there and defend it against Roy. Then I retired. I had a brain snap one day. I said, I'm out here. I'm done. See you later. And then 11 months later, I came back. And so that, that Roy Jones kind of thing was on the table. And so he put me in touch and he said, is it a possibility? Could this happen? And they kind of, he kind of started the ball rolling. And then once once it became a reality, then, um, you know, uh, I, I said to Angelo and he put me in touch with the guy with, with Roy's manager, McGee Wright. Sorry, he's promoted John Wirt. His manager, McGee Wright, was a was a prick. But um, John Wirt wasn't much better. They weren't, some of these blokes couldn't lie straight in bed. And that that's the impression the outside punter like gets me uh, like me gets of boxing promoters. They're not all that way, mate. Of so it's not. it's it's there's some very stand up people and some very good people involved, but um, it does get it's you know how we I'll get back to the story in a second. Yeah. I won't bore everyone, but it's funny that boxing. And my old man, I always talk about it often, because my old man's very straight. He's down the line. He's old school. He's quiet. Keeps himself, and you know, he's, I'm, I'm very close to my dad. But we always talk about it. Boxing gets a bad rap. It really does get a bad rap, but you look at the, there are so many people out there that are way worse than boxing. In from from a headmaster of school mm. to the Catholic Church to our government to the police force, there's corruption in everything. And sorry, I shouldn't mention the police force because they do a fantastic job. But there's corruption in high schools in the in the, in the education system. It is from the, from the corner deli everywhere you name it. In, in every sport and every code and every everything around the world, there is but corruption. Reckon- but boxing gets really tarnished because it's so it's in the movies. So everyone yeah. goes, "Oh, boxing!" It's you know, but it's not that way, mate. But because it's the big fighters that have had problems, because it's the Mike Tyson's of the world. Now, you, you will have read his book, and it's just people coming at him the whole time and taking his money and spending it. For 
for him. It's because- Mike's not clever, so that really has a lot to do with Mike Tyson not being intelligent enough and not being smart enough and not being savvy enough to look after his own affairs. I see. And that's not really Mike's fault because he's a guy who comes from the streets at the age of 13, didn't have anyone, didn't have a dad, an uncle, anyone, a brother. Or they had no one to look after him. So he was severely manipulated. So that's not Mike's fault. But if he was smarter and was a bit more savvy and had, and had someone looking out for him, then that wouldn't have happened. So that was a very unfortunate incident. But because he's such a high-profile person, People generalise wrongly, as you're telling me. And he had leeches around him. Yeah. And he had he had he had Sucking savages, Sucking. and he had he had leeches manipulating and and just seeing massive opportunity. And they manipulated the whole thing, and they made a lot of money off Mike Tyson, and then just you know threw him out, threw him out, rung him out, and left him out to dry. So so you're going to fight Roy Jones? Do you have to? And again, you're not giving away. I don't want you to give away state secrets here. But do you have to tell him and his promoter and his people? It really interests me. Right. We're going to provide Roy with this much money for this fight. Does that how is that how it works? And then how do you go and get that money, Greeny? Because that's coming back on you then. Yeah. So you promised a bloke X number of dollars. You got you got to pay. Yeah. So once um, once it went ahead, once we got the and this is a unique deal. It's Roy Jones. You don't get the chance to no. do this very often. And the reason it was made available or possible was because he'd never won the cruiserweight world title, and he thought, oh, I've never fought out the country as a pro. Green, be an easy fight, get the Cruiserweight World title, get paid a stack, yeah, no problem. Thanks very much. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that's probably how it come about. And uh, I was able to, had a good following and had, you know, was able to, to, to be able to, when I say afford, it was able, was able to put up the offer and, and hopefully if it come off then was able to do it. So then, you know, I got in touch with the, the you know, three in the morning because the time difference in Perth at and the, where I was living was receptionist terrible was up in the back fence talking to this bloke in, in America, getting the deal done and kind of coming to terms with, with the group. So I kind of negotiated with myself and Angela and negotiated the grey areas and then the black and whites we'd agreed on the grey areas then myself, my, my, my mate Justin, my, my mate Molly, he would go in there and do the, fill out the black and white details. So, that was easy. So the, when I say easy, it was the black and white details. There wasn't much negotiation. So then you got to negotiate. You know, there's just so much that goes involved, mate. It's a, it's a pretty hectic deal. But yeah, so right, Roy, I offer you ten dollars to come down to Australia to pay. Well, I offered Roy Jones ten dollars to come and fight. Yep. I had to put that ten dollars into a bank account in escrow, in a lawyer's account in escrow in the United States, eight weeks before he even came out to a, to Australia to fight. So your nuts are on the line there financially. Nuts are right on the line, mate. Keep you awake at night because it's not ten dollars, yeah. obviously. Yeah, yeah, it did, mate. Yeah, definitely. It was, you know, it was a, it was a large sum and um, it was a massive, massive pun. And people don't realise that, you know. I put my house back. I had to, you know, remortgage my house to uh, to do that. And it was, yeah, yeah it's a big pun, mate. <clears throat> and um, it wasn't going to pay off. It wasn't guaranteed to pay off. And then when I fought. And so we'd said up almost before we both fought over in America. So if this happens and I win the title and you win against um, Jeff Lacey, yep. then we can put the show on down Australia. It makes sense if I win the title. And so we'd already set the ball in, mo- in the ball in play. And then I had a fight and it was a pretty entertaining fight. And he got you know knocked in the third round. I ended up putting him away. And he broke my ribs in the first round. I ended up mm. putting him away in the fifth round. A good show. Then Roy just looked incredible against Jeff Lacey, a former two-time champ. And so it lit up back here in the media, like, oh, look at Roy, Green, same show. This is what's going to happen next. So it already, from the get-go, if I'd fought Paulie and Roy hadn't performed so well, it wouldn't have gone off with a bang. And obviously the deal wouldn't have gone out, gone ahead because it went so well, you know, just by chance the fights went so well for both of us. It just created a great, a great story. And then we got the deal on. We then went negotiated hard, got the deal, agreed on it. 
and then and then that was it. The rest is history, and um, you know he came out here and was going to have an easy an easy payday, and um, it didn't kind of work out that way for him. I, I still freak out about it. You know, it's <laughs> wild. Mortgage your house. So when was the first time you stepped in a ring as a young fella? How old were you? Uh, I was um, <clears throat> excuse me, I was eighteen. First boxing fight. No, I had I had, I had two kickboxing fights before that because I did karate from the age of twelve, and but always wanted a box, but I never knew where to go. I didn't really know anyone in the boxing industry. My dad didn't know anyone in the Why boxing industry. Why did twelve industry. year old want a box? I just loved it. Yeah. The old man used to take me to the pub when I was you know young fella watching the world title fights in my pajamas. Back in the day, it's changed. You know, you can't do that anymore. And dad <laughs> was in the pub, take me down there and and uh, watch the fights, and I just you know it was like, oh man, I want to do that one day. That's what I want to do. I love that. You know, and started karate and. Was always, you know, always thought I was, you know, good fighter. But really, in reality, I was, you know, I was just a, just a kid. But I always wanted to do it. But I've always had a good punch on me. I've always, you know, realised I've always could always punch hard. I was born with heavy bones, thick bones, you know, thick bone density, which makes that's what makes someone heavy handed. That's how you punch hard. Is you're born with it. You can only improve your punching power to a to a very small degree. Phone ringing, Danny, just taking care of business, as we've just discussed, he always has to do. So y- you get into the ring the first time? Yeah, my, fir- <clears throat> my first kickboxing fight, I won. Um, uh, it was out of it was it wasn't even a proper boxing uh, a ring. It was, um, it was a brick wall was one side of the ropes and then three ropes off that. At an old shed in, a, in, a, in a, an industrial area in a suburb called Bayswater in Perth and, um, you know, I'd, uh, I'd been boxing for about three months, four months, but I'd done a fair bit of Muay Thai training before that. But uh, boxing was always where I wanted to go, but this fight became available. So I was like, yeah, okay, no worries. There was probably, you know, 50 people in the crowd and it was pretty raw. And I hopped in there and... Um, the amateur fight? Yeah, just, it was Muay Thai, amateur kickboxing fight. So, um, yeah, I knocked him out in 30 seconds, hit him with a, with a flush right hand and I, 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 I knocked him out proper. Like, you know, I was like, whoa, I was kind of spun out. Like, How does it feel when you knock someone out? Because that's what you're aiming to do. The 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 end result, the 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 best outcome for a fighter to win is by knockout, yeah. and that may sound bad, but we choose to do this. This is what we choose to do. That's the aim of the sport. So the, we we choose to do it, and that's the ultimate way to win is by stopping the person. It's not what I like to do, and it's not like, hey, yeah, I knocked a guy out. It feels so good because it actually doesn't feel good. I actually don't really. There's a fair bit of humanity involved in boxing to most fighters. No one really feels good about knocking someone out. Some do, but they won't make it to the top. So it, it's a strange feeling, because I've been knocked out myself, and I've been hurt myself plenty of times. Um, when you knock, so when I first knocked that black out the first time, I was pretty spun out. It's like, whoa, you know? But I, I, I'd grown up since age of 12, punching on and fighting with grown men when I was training in karate from a very young age. So, and there was, you know, full contact and, you know, was pretty rough and tough, so I was used to that kind of. I was not. I was almost desensitised to violence of that sort, as far as fighting goes. So when I knocked him out, I was like, "Well, that's that's how it works. That's what goes on." And then, um, but I didn't feel great about it. You know, I felt I felt bad. I kind of felt, oh, "Shit, I feel bad." You're right. You know, I felt sorry for the bloke. It wasn't the nicest thing, of, you know. And, and even to this day, when I've knocked you know fighters out, I, it doesn't particular. I celebrate. But I don't celebrate because I've knocked them out. I celebrate because I've put in so much work, and that could be me, and I've sacrificed a lot, and I've put in, and that's my profession, that's my trade. I celebrate because I've been victorious, not because I've knocked them out. So conversely, when you get whacked in the face, really hit in the face, which hopefully 99.9% of the population never happens to, and you've been really big on one punch, which we'll get to later on, and you know it shouldn't happen to anyone outside of a sporting situation, but 
hopefully it never happens to me. What's it like, Greeny, when someone absolutely clocks you and you see a bloke staggering? You've been staggering around a ring. What is it painful? Is it a shock? What is it? It's all sorts of things. Like you know, I've had my nose broken and my eye socket fractured and my jaw broken in one fight and continued fighting. Um, your nose gets broken. It's it's it goes. It's kind of it goes kind of cold. It's a cold feeling. You get hit here, and it just it's you know it's broken because it's you can just feel it. You kind of hear it as well. But in the heat of the moment, you don't really. You kind of there's so much adrenaline. Everything just goes so quick. Everything's flying. But in the same sense, it's time slows right down. But when you sometimes get clocked hard, you see black. In you see black for what seems like about three or four seconds, but it's only in reality it's a split second. You're complete black, and a flash of white then follows that, and then you kind of that, and then you see your, your eyes are open. And my experience is, I can't feel my legs from the knees down. So I've no feeling from my legs from the, it's numb. You actually, it, it almost makes a noise like a, it's vibrating, but, it's, but your knees down, you can't feel anything. And then you think I can't move, I'm stuck here. But in reality, when you watch it back on replay, you actually have moved. You've moved around. If you've been moving, you've been, you know, going around. That's when you're hurt. A good fighter realizes they've just got to chill, and either grab on, hold, and give themselves a bit of respite to recover, get their feeling back in their legs when they say their legs are gone. Right. Or, so your legs are actually gone. Well, yeah, that's from that's my experience. Yeah. Mm. Or they go wobbly and you can't feel them because your equilibrium's shattered, and then you, you know, this, this, the, your receptors, your nerve receptors have obviously, your brain have sent some that some nerve damage is taking place or some reactions happen where the nerves and you believe there's a reaction that's gone down here where your legs are affected, your, your, your balance, your equilibrium. And, yeah, when, and then I've been knocked out. It's like, you know, you can't hear anything and then you kind of come to, it's like, hey, what's going on here? Where am I? And the same time I'm, I'm pulling myself up and getting up and beating the eight count. So, you know, bang, you're physically gone, you drop down, then boom, you get up and then you, as a fighter, you just get up. You just so where are way. you in that moment when when your body's saying shut down and you want to continue the fight? Where, where, where are you taking yourself to get back up to beat the, the count? just want to get up, man. I just got to get up. Get because up. of pride or because of your training? I or want to win the fight. Right. You just want to win. I want to win. Wow. <laughs> I don't want to get out this way. This is not where I want to be, man. I want to get up. Oh, I, can go, I can do this. I'll get up. This is cool. Just being knocked a bit. I'll get up. If I can get my feet and get my legs back, it happened against Vladacek, the Polish bloke. It was, it was, t- it was kind of a tough, tough victory, uh, tough loss because I was dominating, and I was I just been knocked out against Antonio Tava and lost my title and got the chance to fight again for the WBC Cruiserweight World Title against the champion, Polish guy Krzysztof Vladacek. He's a beast, and uh, I was a massive underdog. Nearly put him away in round five, mm. dominating him round eleven. Near the end of round eleven, I was four points up on all scorecards. Had to had to get knocked out to lose. But he busted my nose real bad in round nine. So my breathing, I couldn't breathe properly, so my oxygen levels were you know, depleted and my energy levels were zapped, so my engine slowed right down, so it made it hard to get away from him. And he was coming on strong, he could smell it. I was you know, busting my nose real bad and I was coughing up blood and I couldn't move as well and he got me in the ropes and he threw a beautiful left hook and boom, turned my lights out and you know, took me out. And it was tough because I was like, I remember climbing to my feet grabbing the rope and I watched a replay my arm was twitching because I couldn't see because it was all uh, I couldn't quite judge it so I had four or five grabs and eventually grabbed it and hauled myself up using the ropes and got to my feet and I was like man I, can, I just got to hang on and do this but the referee called the fight off and he made the right decision because he would have come in and took me out and because um, he was you know by this time he'd, he'd, he'd 
he was fresh now. He got the smell of blood and he was like, yeah, man, I got this because he was gone. He was out of the fight. Yeah. He showed his class as a professional, as a world champion. That's him. He, that's boxing. And I, I was, it's very upsetting to lose that fight. And that was the most hard, that was the hardest loss to take because um, it was, uh, I was dominating a guy that no one gave me a chance to defeat. And uh, then to get taken away like that. So, but also that's the sport of boxing. So I kind of live with it pretty easily because it's like, you know what? I've done it to people. I've taken them out. And um, I don't. That's the sport. You got to live with it, man. What about you? Came to professional boxing quite late. I think maybe twenty-eight as a professional boxer, and you know you had those sort of fifteen, sixteen fights. All of a sudden, you're in Germany fighting for a title against Marcus Bayer. Bayer. Yeah. Um, and that's when you're first in my consciousness. That's when I'm like, right, this bloke. I, I remember he fought at the Olympics in two thousand. Um, now he's a professional. And I remember watching it, I think I was overseas, and you're dominating this bloke. And then all of a sudden, they called it off, and the commentators didn't know why. And, you know, in theory, you'd headbutted him and been disqualified. You were dominating that fight. That was the first time I understood who Danny Green was. And I guess that must have been pretty tough for you. You're in a hostile situation. You think you're going to win the fight. You're front on points, and all of a sudden, they've said, no, you're done. Yes. Did you headbutt him? No, we clashed heads. Right. So we clashed our heads touched, but and it was funny. I opened up a cut. I dropped him round one, dropped him round. You two, dropped him twice. Pumped him. Well, round one, he was. I don't know how he got up. What he was. Well, I don't know what was kicking through his veins, but he got up. He was. His eyes rolled back in his head. His feet were twitching. It's like far out. I've knocked him out. I couldn't believe it. First round, WBC world champ. Thanks very much. I but he didn't flipping. want. He didn't want to lose either. He's no. like you, wasn't he? He, he was yeah, going to get up. He showed a lot to get up from that punch, mate. He showed a lot, and then. Dropped in round two, showed a lot to get up and continue going. And I cut him bad in round in round two. A minute forty seven in round two, I cut him real bad here with a beautiful left jab, like a screw left, like a screwed jab over and sheared his eye, and then just worked on it. Round five, I'd won every round up until then. Uh, it was a shutout. He would have had to knock me out to lose to to win because I was so far ahead and I was continuing to 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 to, to charge. And then we clashed heads, and it should have been called off. Round three, round four, the referee should have called the fight off because his cut was so bad. And it was getting dominated. And so um, they, they found an opportunity. I gave them an opportunity. I was fairly reckless and careless. Threw a left hook, bang, and clashed heads. But my head never touched anywhere near. It's clear on the replay. His eye was cut here. Yeah. Here, sorry. I never touched him. My head just touched him, just on the top of the, on the cheek, on the, on the chin, below the chin. Didn't even go near his cheekbone, let alone his eye. And... They called off, the referee called off, and Germany has been notorious for disgraceful decisions. And so it was it was condemned worldwide. My word, it was. It was 11, 11 minutes after the fight. So the referee said, I'm not going to disqualify the offending fighter. The foul was not flagrant enough for me to disqualify him. We're going to the scorecards. They took a point off immediately. They then took four minutes later, they took two points off. It's like... It's like... Um, Policy on the run. It's it's like Josh Kennedy full 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 for the Eagles kicking a goal in the grand final, and the umpire going bang goal umpire giving a point a, a goal, and then a minute later just going right bang there's another one for the same goal. It's like hang on you can't do that. Right. So he just took two off for no reason. Then they then eleven minutes later they came back and the referee said we're going to the scorecards. I was a shutout victory man. I was I was flipping out. Crowd were going bananas. It was pretty hostile throwing bottles and plastic bottles in the ring and abusing us and. And then they came out with a piece of paper and they just produced a piece of paper and the referee was overruled by the doctor, which is unheard of. That's just, like, bizarre. 
It's you know, it's like the goal umpire mm. saying the referee. Saying, oh, not even that. It's like it's like a runner overruling the the ref the umpire's decision in the AFL. So anyway, so how does that strike you at that stage? You, you know you've been hard done by. You know uh, you're not going to be able to do anything about it because you're a foreign country. I was wigging out a bit, you know. I was like, oh well, what can you do? What can I do here? I guess I learnt if I can't change something at that time, I'm not going to stress about it. If I could have changed it there and then, and go would have kicked up a fuss and done something about it, but I was helpless to change it, so therefore, what can I do? Cop on the chin, shake hands, there you go, no worries. You lost, you know you lost, but that's, that's it. And then I was pretty disappointed, obviously, mm. to say the least. But then I flew back to Australia, my daughter was there to greet me at the airport, she was one and a half, she was healthy, had a roof over my head, lived in Australia, what am I worried about? Lost a fight, people are losing their lives in conflict, People getting blown up every day around the world. That had nothing to do with them, not their fault. And I, and I figured, and I get angry with myself thinking about it right now. I get angry. I'm going to fucking complain about losing a bit of leather, please. Nothing. Means nothing. As an athlete, it hurts. But really in life, in reality, when you break it down into perspective, it means fuck all. So there's a legend that goes, and that whole attitude is the reason you're sitting here now as a multiple world champion, successful in everything you do. I... I, I to me, that's the crux of you. I've just learnt that now, that, that you don't take pity on yourself. So that's, that's why you are sitting here in a nice hotel room, continuing along your career and doing beautifully. You go and I think you fought you fought him again and he rolled you. There's a legendary story, whether it's true or not, you always hear things in sport, that you may have come home and went on a bit of a road trip with your old man who you mentioned you're very close. Is that a true story or not? Mm. Yeah, well, I went back. Actually, when the, the, the first Bayloss gave me, it was because it was known. I, mean, I was just a, I was a young guy, 16 and 0. When I say young, I was a young, you know, a, a fresh pro and 16 old KOs, went to Germany, bowled this guy over, got ripped off. So it gave me a, it, it actually launched my career. Well, that's what I said. That's when you hit the national consciousness. Yeah. That's when as a sports journalist, I was like, oh, all right, this bloke, Danny Green, out of Perth. Yeah. Gun. Worldwide too, it kind of, the boxing world stood up and took notice, another guy's been ripped off. But hang on, there's drama, there's, it's dramatic. It's, you know, look at the blood, he's chopped him up, he's <laughs> dropped him and he's lost, you know. He really put me in the map boxing. So it really, it really was, I turned a positive, I look at it, I turned a negative into a positive. If I'd won the title, it would have been, oh, he's won the fight, you know, where are we? But, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a big name back then. Marcus Bayer was a big name in Germany and Europe and whatever, but he wasn't a massive worldwide name. So he put me in the map. I then got the chance to go over to Montreal and, and fight Eric Luca for the interim WBC World Championship because he'd retired. Bayer retired, needed plastic surgery in his eye, got flogged, was disillusioned. Banks had put the title up for me and Lucas, who was the former champ who lost it in controversial fashion to Bayer the fight before I fought him. You had to go fight in Canada in Montreal? So I went to Montreal, yeah, and put him on in the sixth round. And, and and sent them bankrupt because they invested in me and uh, and thought yeah well because Eric Lucas was a big name there he was a former champion two time champ and um, he was a big star in Montreal and uh, the fifteen thousand fans at the Bell Centre they were going feral and they you know paid me good money to go there and it was like man I got paid this money to go and fight it's like crazy you were it was my first real payday and then put him away in the sixth round it was just unbelievable and then I had a few more fights. And then uh, he came out of retirement not long after I won, won the title and uh, they said the WBC ordered the rematch. So I went back to Germany. By that stage, myself and my trainer, I was training with Jeff Fennick. I was very, very upset, very disillusioned, very, very... It was, we were fractured. The, the relationship had fractured long before that happened and we were just hanging on by a thread as a fighter-trainer relationship and I didn't really want to be there and, uh, you know... Was kind of you know frustrating, <clears throat> so it wasn't so, working. But yeah, and I know you as a person never speak. You're that old school. If you haven't got someone something nice to say, I know that you as a person. But obviously, the relationship with you and Jeff just wasn't working out at that nah, stage. It, it, it was gone. It was gone. Right. You know, it, was, it was finished. And so um, yeah, went to Germany and tried my best, 
but you know when you have a fighter and a trainer their relationships are actually difficult because mm. um, you, you know you, you're supposed to be very close and intimate with each other and you know, we'd, we'd, we'd separate we're distant before that got, we got to there so uh, that was what it was and for Bayern to his credit he um, he was victorious um, but I, I, I look at that fight and I still think that if that was in another country, and I hate saying it, but you know what, I'm going to say it. If it was in another country, I reckon I would have got the nod because it's very, very close. I heard him, he hurt me bad round three with a beautiful body shot. He nearly put me down with a body shot. And then um, I heard him in round four, I heard him in round six. Now, he hurt me round six, I heard him round seven. Round 11, I heard him. And then round 12, I nearly put him out, put him away. And so I, I threw more punches, I pressed the action, but because he was landing such clean flush shots at me at sta- in stages, he landed about eight to ten really flush shots during the fight because it was so different a stark a stark contrast to our first meeting where i just bowled him everyone thought i was going to come to germany and do it again yet i was i was physically i was you know gone mentally didn't have the right approach so it was hard so then when i lost the title and he won the title and uh that was it i'd lost my title i was disillusioned i thought oh man i was spewing so i grabbed the old man said you want to go for a drive mate let's go for a drive to sydney What's your old man's name? Mal. Mal, right. And and like, literally two days later, mum made some, you know, I was over there. I was living in Sydney at that stage, but I was back home for a bit. And then mum made some curried egg sandwiches, <laughs> which are always good for a road trip. Oh, yeah, fantastic. And uh, and ham and ham and, um, ham and um, relish sandwiches. And uh, off we went on a four-day, four-night cruise across the country and across the Nullarbor. And just had an epic time because I love driving in the country. Done it a couple of times across the Nullarbor after that. And uh, you know I'm close mates with my dad, and you know I was kind of I was kind of wondering what I was going to do. Am I going to continue? You know I was up in the air about what to do with you know with my coach. Do I leave him? You know, and dad just said, mate, I was kind of kind of seeking a bit of guidance from the old man. And then one night oh, we're in, um, I think we're in uh, just out of South Australia, in in South Australia, but a small town in South Australia. I remember it was. And I was talking to Dad, and he said, "What are you gonna do?" And this and that. And then in the end, in the end, he goes, "For fuck's sake, mate, make a decision." And that was it. The penny dropped. Said, yeah, you're right, mate. And he said, "Make the decision. You, you know what you're gonna do. Just fucking make the decision." So that was it. And I decided to to leave Jeff, and um, we split. Although you know, Jeff had kind of made his decision anyway because he was training Tyson and that kind of stuff. So you know, he moved on. We we separated, moved our own, went our own way, and. Uh, yeah, that was it, and I moved onwards and upwards, and um, yeah, but it was a good a good drive. We kind of, you know, just forgot about all the bullshit, all the hype, all that crap. Don't really like it, mate. Just a father and son. Just to get out in the Nullarbor and just cruise and, you know, go on the Great Australian bike. Got a great photo of me and the old man on the Great Australian bike. Actually, it was a selfie because we didn't have anyone to take a photo. So selfies weren't in- introduced back then. Yeah, <laughs> had my own selfie stick <laughs> on the Great Australian bike, you know. And it was something I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll remember forever and I'll do it with my boy when I'm, when I'm older. Plenty more still to come on episode two of the Howie Games with Danny Green. I thought we'd just have a spell for a minute, though, just to give you a little tempter, a little teaser of episode three of the Howie Games. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a rating. We come out every Thursday. And next week's episode with a former Carlton and Brisbane Lions AFL superstar, the loose, the Fevalenko, Brendan Favola. Now, you don't need to be into AFL football to listen to this one. I think it's probably one of the top three more extraordinary interviews I've ever done. He had some amazing stories, the Fev. This is just a little snippet. I started with this book. He had two grand start of the day, and by the end of the day, I'd won 360 grand. 
by the You're end of the day. freaking kidding me. So I won 306. I was, I was on fire. I couldn't miss. And I was hitting uh, about two in the morning. We were betting at Hong Kong. Oh, on horses? And I'd had a f- on horses, yeah. I'd had a few drinks. Two grand into there. 365. 360, I think it's 365 or $8,000 I won. So we tried to get it out the next day with a bookie, but you're not allowed to get it out to the Monday. And this was obviously a Thursday now. So I had to wait till Monday. And, you know, when you're gambler you want to bet it so by sunday i was 20 down i lost it all and 20 down then alex left so that's it i'm out fascinating chat that one with fev coming out next thursday on the howie gun all right let's go back to episode two with danny green i was going to ask you before about um and you've got a, a daughter as well and a beautiful wife you've been with for a long time um you got married in vegas True story. Yeah, Elvis, yeah, mate. Elvis Presley Chapel dressed as Elvis Presley. You yeah. were dressed as Elvis. Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> Elvis he dressed as a kid. Yeah, and Elvis married us. <laughs> so two Elvises in the building. Yeah, I wasn't sure which one my missus wanted to go home with. You know, because he was a good-looking rooster. So the king was rocking either way that night. Was he singing the king? Did yeah, sing? yeah, did full on. Yeah, <clears throat> chose three songs. We came out to Viva Las Vegas. No, went out to Viva Las Vegas. Came into. Um, uh, wise men <laughs> And then um, This is the first person to ever sing on the Howie game It was a big moment for oh, me I like it Oh shit, sorry oh, No, I like it <laughs> you, say, just, just, you hear people turning off now um, <laughs> no, no, no. Or yelling, don't do it again <laughs> And um, actually sang Elvis this morning with Brownie on radio Did you? Yeah, and over <laughs> And then um, uh, And one other song, yeah, so yeah, it was good fun. I fought over there on, on Costa's Who's Undercard and then that was on the Saturday night, and then on the Sunday night, uh, Monday night, I got married. Yeah. So your beautiful wife, who you've been with for 20, 21 years, 22 years, what, what's it like for her? And do you ever have the conversation? Again, we know so much of boxing. You mentioned before from movies, and we see Rocky get belted up, and uh, and he's with his uh, wife, and she's calling out his name, and he's calling out. That, that's, that's what we see. What happens after a fight when you've been belted up? How do you – how does your – your wife and your kids react to that and you, your daughter will be old enough to understand now that someone's there whacking her dad you, right. you mentioned when you got beaten by the big boy she's grown up with it mate right. you know, they've grown up with it. You know, after the Vladarchik fight went home my head was you know was busted up pretty bad it was like out here it's chopped up and cuts and black eyes and couldn't you know my mm. eyes shut so yeah that, that, but that's been a constant part of their life you know training so always coming home with you know a busted head so they're kind of used to it they've grown up with it they've watched fighting and boxing the whole life so they're kind of they're also a little bit desensitised to the fighting. Does your wife worry about you? In nah, she knows I'm stupid enough to look after myself. Right, so know. it's not an issue. You don't go home, she says, Danny, I think time's time. Oh, sometimes, you know, like after the Vodacek fight, she'd never, you know, sometimes, oh, sorry, she's seen me all, all stuff. So, nah, you know, if I was if I was making a goose of myself, she'd step in and go, hey, you, you, you're a dickhead. You know, she's, she, she'd tell me straight. She always tells me straight. That's why we kind of... We clash sometimes because she's the one who tells me exactly right. what I need to hear. And do you listen to it? Uh, I don't want to tell her this, but yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do. She does. You know, she she talks straight. She 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 cuts through all the shit and just goes, "No, nah, you're a knob." Bang, 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 bang. This is what you should be doing. This is what you shouldn't be doing. Whatever. So um, you know, she's great. Mundane, <laughs> mundane. Your name and his name will always be intertwined. That's. For everything you've done in the boxing world, which is incredible, um, your name will always be tied to Mundine. How does that strike you? Before we get into him and fighting him, how's the fact that when people say Mundine, they say Green, or Green, they say Mundine? Is what it is. It's, you know, 
I can't control it, so therefore I don't worry about it. You don't worry it's about much, do you? I figure. Uh, yeah, I do. I do worry a little bit. You're, you're just asking me things I don't really worry right, about. Right, I guess. What so do you worry about? Oh. 16-year-old boys knocking on the front door to take my daughter out. Yeah. I'm Not, I, I reckon they're more worried about it than you are, brother. Oh. <laughs> I you know, reckon they're more worried about it. This Gen Y shit now, mate, they get away with too much and they think they can do whatever they want and there's no repercussions. Well, not in my fucking house, boys. <laughs> Have you had the boy knock on the door yet or not? Your daughter's no, 14? 14. 14, yeah, right. She's young too. She's a young 14. Feel for him, though. Feel for this kid that's 16 and he's I do feel age. for him because my daughter's going to run him ragged. Well, yeah, but he's going to get to the door and you're going to go... Come on, what are you all about? He's going to go, Christ, this is Danny Green. I'll get my brother over there. We'll do the bad boys thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Mundine, um, it's the first time I've paid for pay-per-view. I think uh, reading about it again last night, they said it produced $20 million. That's incorrect. Right. Can I you wish get, you did. Well, it's, uh, the, the, and this is where it's I was sort of getting to. That. So it, it, it said 20 mil and it said 3 million for Chock and 2.5 million for you. So where the other 15 go? Well, that was what I was going to ask you today. We're, we're both self-promoted. Yeah, well, this is what I couldn't understand. So both, we, we both take the lion's share. So either... So after costs, we take everything. Right. Once, once his share and whatever the deal was. So does that was. mean you took 10 each? No. So there wasn't no, 20? No, no, no. Right. Way. No, it wasn't that deal. Was, and, and I wouldn't go into 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 any deals financially. No. no. That wasn't a deal. Sorry, that wasn't anywhere near. It would have been good. Can I ask you, was two and a half million... Would that be a figure in the ballpark of what you got paid for that fight? With all respect, man, I never ever talk. Okay. Never talk. You know what, what's earned. Um, it's a lot of money. Oh, look, man, it was it was the highest grossing fight in Australian boxing yeah. history, and the high and the biggest numbers. And oh, it was the biggest stuff, sporting so. event for the year in Australia that year. No it, doubt. Yeah, it was kind of a big thing, and um, yeah, it had a lot of had a lot of. And the fact that my name's intertwined with his and his with mine, I guess, has been good for both of us. Because it's, it's been fantastic. So without his name or without my name there, I guess there hasn't been that rivalry. It's been a, it's been a pretty full-on rivalry. Uh, How and do you feel about him as a, as a bloke? Do you, do you know him? I've only met him a couple of times. The first time I ever saw him in the flesh was when we got in the ring in 2006. We had separate press conferences and yeah, separate ways. And he, 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 he has a lot of fuckwits surrounding him. So... Um, uh, and that's just through um, seeing some of their behaviour over the years. They might be good blokes, but they haven't really portrayed that and have displayed that. A lot of them like to um, a lot of them like to get on social media and and, and, and talk to people about you know mm. how good they are, which mm. I find as as weak as piss. And um, so, as far as as him goes as a bloke, I don't really know, mate. I saw him not long ago. I, I um, commentated, and he did some commentary on the Channel Nine boxing fight, uh, the first one they had, the the NRL boxing fight. Yeah. Uh, Sonny Billfort on the main event, and uh, he was there. And I saw him backstage. Saw his old man. Said, "G'day, how you going?" I met his old man a few times. Old man's a gentleman. Chocks, chocks, chock. He's a nice fella. He's a very quiet bloke. Pretty meek and mild I kind of a guy. What you know. People don't realise. Yeah. Is, from my experience, Greeny, when you go to interview him. He doesn't say boo before the camera's on and the camera comes on and he's larger than life. And people say to me, what's Mundine like? And I say, from my limited experience, he's, he's as quiet a bloke as you'd ever meet, which really surprises people. Obviously, that's your experience as well. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's, he's quiet and he's meek and he's, you know, very, very, um, pretty, pretty mellow, you know, mm. pretty cool cat. And I, I get asked all the time, especially I go talk to some, you know, do talks around the country. Sometimes you talk to a... You know, a bunch of real, you know, working class guys that are, you know, rah, you know, want to see blood and want to, want to, you know, want to lynch him. 
Because they're just like, ah, fuck him, bro. Loud mouth. They say, what do you like? What, what's he like? You know, do you want to kill him? It's like, you know what, guys? To be honest, no, I don't. Uh, and I'm sure if you were in trouble, if he was in the street, and you're in trouble. If you're in the street and, 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 and you know you need a hand, I'm sure he's the kind of guy that'd fucking put his hand out and give you a hand. Yeah. He's not a bad human being. He's just different to me. Um, and he's he's got some different beliefs, you know, what he believes in. I'm not sure what he truly believes in, whether he truly believes some of the things that he says. Um, I think he's got a, a very elevated opinion of, of I guess, um, you know, what he's achieved and what he's what he's done. He is an outstanding athlete, make no mistake. And you admire him for that? Oh, for sure, mate. He's a, and he's a very skillful fighter. His old man was a great fighter and he's, he's you know, Chuck's, Chuck's a very good fighter, make no mistake. He's in, and, and, and he's got a really nice style. Chuck's got a nice style to watch, you know, he's got a good style. He throws nice punches, he throws them well, throws them off any angle, throws them from any position. He's got a nice style to watch. You I appreciate fight? that. Are you a better fighter yeah, than him? I'm a better, I'm a better fighter. Well, your record... He's a, he's a better... I've got, I got, I got better fighters on my resume. Yeah, absolutely. I've got better victories on my resume. I've got better losses to better fighters on my resume. Um, but that doesn't suggest that I'm a better fighter because, um, you know, history goes that he beat me. But I beat Roy Jones Jr. Does that mean I'm a better fighter than Roy Jones Jr.? But I beat Roy Jones Jr., you know, over nearly, you know, nearly seven years ago. So, uh, you know, he was coming off a f- six-fight streak where he'd won five out of six. One of the, the, only, the only loss out of that five was a points loss. Out of six was a points loss previously to Joe Calzaghe. Yeah. Um, so he defeated some good fighters in that stretch. And so people go, oh, you beat Roy Jones. Well, hang on, it's like six years ago. When he defeated Jeff Lacey, I was a five-to-one underdog. No one gave me a chance because he looked so electric. He looked crazy when he beat Lacey. I fought him three and a half months later. You don't deteriorate that much in three and a half months. He went on to fight 10 more times. He went the distance with Bernard Hopkins after I fought Roy Jones. Did I fight Roy Jones in his peak? Of course not. Would I beat Roy Jones in his peak? Of course not. But if I hit him, I would have. Because mm. the same thing happened. Was I going to defeat Roy Jones that night when I fought him in 2009? I was very confident. If I hadn't clipped him so well so early, would the fight have gone a different way? Fair chance. Who knows? Yeah. But I took what I took my chances. Do, am I a better fighter than Roy? I don't tie Roy's shoelaces up, you know, compared to what I've done to what he's done. No way. I never say that. I would never ever say that I'm better than Roy Jones, but I was better than him on that night in 2009. And is that I'm, the way you look at 2006 yeah. with Chalk? Yeah. So I don't want to dwell on it. No, no, no. Chalk's Chuck, a very good fighter. Mate, look, I'm not going to. So when you, walk out, when you walk out of the ring and you've been beaten in the biggest sporting event of the year in Australia that year, and I, I think that's probably fair enough to say that, how are you, how you tracking at that stage? Is it frustration? Is it anger? Is I was beaten by a better man on the night? Everyone knows that you, you went through a lot physically to be able to get the weight needed for that fight. But can you take your mind back to walking out of the ring and his hands in the air and yours is not? Yeah, man, I was very emotional. <clears throat> very emotional. Um, I went back to the, to the, to the change rooms and I, um, I cried. But I didn't cry because I lost to Anthony Mundine. I waited till I got back to the change rooms, and I waited there and waited till the doors were shut, and then I, you know, then I, I kind of I broke down. But I broke down for not because I, um, you know, lost a fight. And I was going through a lot. My family were going through a hell of a lot at that stage. You know, my brother had, had lost his daughter. Um, you know, eight weeks before the fight, his four month old, four month old daughter Sophie didn't wake up one morning. So, you know, that really puts it into perspective, mate. It kind of. It happened before the fight and uh, I didn't really give two fucks about losing a fight or winning a fight. Although if you'd seen me train, you wouldn't have believed what I was doing. 
I was doing almost superhuman things in the gym because I was punishing myself. That was by my way of grieving, punishing myself. And I thought if I can win this fight, I can shine a bit of light in the family, shine a little bit of light for my brother and try and, because he was in shock, obviously. We are all in shock. He ripped apart, ripped us all apart, mate. And so I didn't give a, f- you know, I didn't really care about losing the fight. I was just so, it was like I was watching the fight from up here. I was checking out what was going on. I was just a spectator. Although, mate, I, and, and, and the weight that I had to lose, to lose that much weight, it was less than 3% body fat. You know, two, two, two specialists said, mate, you're, you're, you're very sick. I presume you're really dehydrated as well to get shockingly, under Shockingly. Oh, okay. So I had to go. I, I then wanted to get a drip administered after to put saline into my body after the weigh-in, and I couldn't get a drip in my – they couldn't they, – I was poked full of holes because I had no veins because I was so flat. Couldn't put a drip in because I had no veins. There was no visible veins to get in, so I was fucked. I shed three and a half kilograms of muscle, so I wasted. I went catabolic and ate myself because I had to. I had nowhere else to lose it. I had less than three percent body fat. When you start drawing fat, you have less than three percent. You start drawing fat from your vital organs, including your brain. Very unhealthy. Now, how I continued punching on for twelve rounds and continued pressing the action. I think it was because I didn't want to lose so much because of my brother. I was in such poor physical condition, such poor mental condition, but I just wanted to persevere and try and be victorious and triumphant. Not for me and not for everyone that had followed me and supported me, and I hope this doesn't, I hope they don't take this the wrong way, but I was going through a whole different set of things that were way more important than a fight, although that was an important fight. and. They were people, if they could only see what I'd gone through physically before the fight to get, just to get there, they realised, man, this guy has put his body and his head through hell to get there. And so, yeah, it was, it was different, mate. It was a different feeling, a different kettle of fish. All I wanted to do was get back to rooms and, and, and hug and hug my brother and apologise to my brother, you know. That's how I felt. Apologise? Yeah, because I couldn't do it, you know, and that's, that's where my mind was at that time, that I couldn't do it for him. You know, I thought, I thought I was doing the right thing, so it was tough, mate. So I never really consider or think too much about that time because I try to block that time out. Not because of the fight. Nah, fight means nothing as far as when you put it in perspective, when you put family in perspective. The fight really kind of is, is a bit of a, um, almost like a time warp. So take away, and I appreciate your honesty, and I can see you back in that moment now in 2006 we're talking about it take away we're not at a press conference we're just two blokes sitting here on a couch you know you, you get stuck in a choco he gets stuck into you in the end that's boxing that sells tickets do, do you reckon you'll fight him do you reckon the fight will happen I, I'm, and I'm not interested in the whys or why fours or who's or says do you reckon you'll fight him if you, if you had to say one thing or another I'll fight Mundine before I'm Find a retire, I won't. What do you Look, think? It's difficult, man, because I, I lost to Mundine, so it's and I, and, I, and I kind of get frustrated in that fact that because I've, you know, I, I I consider myself to be a he's a he's a very good boxer, but I, I'm, a better, I'm a better I'm a, I'm a better fighter. I can understand your frustration. I'm a fighter's fighter too, you know. Like, uh, you've achieved so much, and we're dwelling on such a small part, but that small part fascinates the country more. Oh than yeah, any fight you've had since, buddy. You know, Lionel Rice is going to fight in Japan. You know what I mean? It's yeah. I mean, I, and the thing is, I'll fight him. I'll fight him now. I'll fight, if he comes in here, I'll fight him. No problem. I'll fight him for free. Yeah. Just, but, to, just to fight him. Just but to will go it happen? Right. And, and when I say that, I don't mean like in a bad way. I don't want to hurt him. I say I want to pump you and just show you that I am the better fighter. Yeah. And you don't. You, you don't. You don't. You, you don't walk with me. Do you think you'll get that chance, Danny? 
Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Like, it's inevitable, I think. It's there's so much. It's incredible, Howie, there's still this much interest 10 years later. It's incredible that there is still 10 years on interest to see yeah, us is, fight each it? other. 10 yeah. years, you're right. You know, like, it's a long time. It's a decade. We were supposed to do the fight. We were talking. I talked to Coda Nasser and I spoke with Coda at length. And, uh, you know, we all agreed late. Early December last year, it was the ninth of, it was the eighth of December last year. I was on the phone down in Melbourne to some people that look after um, Mundine's promotions here in Melbourne. God, by the name of Brian, I was on the phone with Brian Armatruda and spoke with Brian, and then we spoke with Coda Nasser, and I keep in touch with Coda all the time. And we basically agreed on the deal in five minutes. This is a deal. This is how it's going to work. Both parties were happy. Both very, very fair. So I'd gone in and said what I'm going to do and what I'm prepared to give and this and that. And they gave their side. That's it. Cool. We're happy. Let's get this organised. Let's get a contract signed by the end of the month. That's great. Was that easy? Yeah, one bloke didn't want to sign it. So his own manager, Coda, said, mate, don't come back to me. You're embarrassing me. Don't come back to me because I'm not going back to Green with this stuff. I'm not going back to him with it because it's not right. What's on the table is fair for you and fair for him. What more can you ask? So... You know, we were supposed to do the fight May 17, 10 year anniversary to the day. Tuesday night would have been, you know, pretty, pretty significant an enormous moment in boxing history. He blew that. He's blown it. So he keeps blowing it. He keeps asking for more. He's not, he keeps asking for 60 40. The bloke's not worth 60 40. He's not worth 40% of the, of, of the 100. His figures have shown he never sells a gate. He's, he got pumped his last two out of three fights. He's been dropped nine times. He got knocked his old man out to save him last fight. But if you just get the 40, is it worth the 40 just to get the fight done? Or is there more to it than that? There's more to it than that. Yeah. Don't bother me if I don't fight. I've got, you know, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got plenty of ways to catch So it's mate. not a burning desire. It's not you really want, you know, you'd like it to happen. But well, it's as not a professional, oh, no, as a professional, I think it's, you know, look, he hasn't got a lot of room to move either. He's not. What's he gonna do? Who's he gonna fight that anyone's gonna go and watch? That's exactly right. So people do want to see the fight, and it's been great. His role, and and he he's been, you know, he's been, he's got a lot of interest in the sport. I don't think he's he has not raised the profile at all. He's got interest in the sport of boxing, but a lot of people have tarred boxers with the same brush that he's been tarred with because mm. you know they they think we're all the same. Like we talk shit. We're not intelligent, um, you know, and... Uh, but you, so. you've gone about proving all those stereotypes wrong because even uh, Mrs Howie at home, she can't watch boxing. She can't, she, she can't watch anything violent on the news, but she's pumped about hearing what you've got to say because, like, she loves what you're about and she doesn't love boxing at all. She doesn't love boxers. So you've cut through the mainstream in that way, which is a, a true credit to yourself in a lot of ways. Like you're you're a legend of Australian sport, you know. We we, we wouldn't be sitting. You are, mate. You're multiple world champion, three classes. Uh, I know you're a humble guy and you're laughing about it, but I think more than that, people can relate to you and people like you, Greeny, which is I think as good a credit as anyone could have. You know, that, that must be as nice to hear as anything about what you've uh, done in boxing. Scott, thanks, mate. Appreciate it. It's nice. To, yeah, thank you, mate. But you know, so yeah, look at me. You know, like, yeah, I, feel I know, a bit, but, bit, oh, but thank you. It's, to it's to nice transcend to your sport, I think is a wonderful thing. Like you know. Muhammad Ali's just passed. That, he's the ultimate of transcending your sport. So if you can be viewed in a similar way of transcending your sport, I'm not comparing you to Muhammad Ali, but it's, I reckon it's a great thing. Certain people can transcend their sport, and you've been able to do that. Cheers, mate. Which is... And I've always, well, I guess I've always wanted to do that, to show people that the stereotype um, 
that people have the idea of a stereotypical fighter. Yeah. We're not. That's It's rare. You know, You're the not, opposite of the stereotype. Well, uh, it's not just me, mate. It's, it's a, lot, a lot of fighters. Are, are, yeah. Mate, a lot of fighters are family men. They've got dad, they've got um, kids, they've got a job, they've got to work. They're just regular punters. They're knockabouts. And they don't like being in the limelight. They're just guys who just go about their, their shit every day the mm. same way. You know, they go to the toilet, they wipe their eyes, they have kids, they change their nappies. Same mm. thing as everyone else does. But people kind of think, oh, you know, he's a fighter, he must be a thug, or he must be this, he must be that, he must have a brain, mustn't have any empathy. So many fighters I know are very, very, very compassionate people and, and have a lot of empathy towards people in the community and help out and they'll always help out, lend, lend, lend a helping hand. A lot of fighters I know are like that, you know. A lot of fighters I know are good blokes. Especially, you know, a lot of fighters I know that no one would know, just guys in the gym, really, not regular guys in the gym that just wanted to fight or have a couple of fights and just love it because they want to do it. They know they don't want to do anything with it, not want to be a professional or, you know, be a superstar. They just love it. And they're such good people. And they, you know, hey, mate, can I have the shirt off the back? And they haven't got anything else? Yeah, sure, no worries. Here it is. You know? Yeah. But that's, you know, that's, I like, uh, people say, and, and the world kind of, the world can be a shit place, but there's a lot more good people in the world than there are bad. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Danny Green on the Howie Games. Plenty more of Danny in a minute. Please subscribe to the Howie Games on iTunes and give us a rating. That helps our cause. It would be quite beautiful of you if you could do that for us. Episode one, if you didn't catch it, was with the great Australian wicketkeeper batsman Adam Gilchrist. Gilly, I'll play you the first minute of that. Maybe go back and have a listen to it. This is Gilly from Ep1. That's what I proposed to my wife just over there where that geezer's taking that photo. Yeah. We're recording now. Welcome oh, we to the Howie Games. Hello, Welcome mate. to the Howie Games. Thanks for telling me it was switched on. This is, uh, <laughs> well, you're talking about Mel straight away, the, the yeah. love of your life, a young lady you met. Well, how old were you? Oh, we were 12. <laughs> we had a little fling when we were 13 and then had the mandatory. What's a fling involved when you're 13? I uh, took her my first date, took her to see the romantic comedy that was Rambo. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, You can hear the full interview with Adam Gilchrist on episode one of the Howie Games. Time now to go back to ep two with Danny Green. Team Danny Green, um, jump on board if you haven't looked at it and you're interested in fitness or whatever. Um, it's basically you trying to help people out. Uh, to achieve their best in fitness. And have a look at Danny's video at the start, and he uses the word mate a lot, and mate, you can do this, and it's not about you can still have a hamburger and you're not going to be having to do Pilates and this. You can just be a normal training bloke. I want to get to that in a minute, but I'm fascinated by athletes training. I once – I get to see a lot of athletes train. Going out to shoot stories is my favourite part of the job, and I I never forget I spent a couple of days with Kostya Zhu at the Australian Institute of Sport. This had to be 10, 11 years ago, and he had these two young Russians and – everything they did together and at the 60% mark they'd be done they were 21 he was 37 and he'd just keep going I'd never seen anyone train like I'd never seen anyone train like boxers tell us about your training like you were talking about your training like a man like a machine when you were coming to fight Mundine what does that mean because boxing training to me it's the you guys are just out of control when you're in that zone. Oh, there's a lot, mate. There's a lot of like yeah, it's horses for courses, Howie. Yeah. You know, if I had to go and uh, if I had to go and do the training of what the AFL guys do, I wouldn't be able to do it. I'd last, you know, if I had to go play a game of AFL physically, mm. apart from not being able to find the ball, um, I wouldn't be able to match it physically because I'm not used to it. That's what they're used to. Yet they come across the boxing and you know they come to one round and the pads over and they're gone. They're blown out because they're not used to it. So it's different. It's all horses for courses. Okay, so tell me about abs. I want strong abs to fight. I want to be a fighter. But you don't need abs to fight. Okay, what do I need? You need a strong core. Okay. You don't need abs to fight. You just need a strong okay, core. Okay, you're right. I should have said core. Yeah. What, what, what's Danny Green doing leading into a fight to make sure his core can handle what's required? A lot of work on the Busso ball. Right. 
So the, for those aren't aware, the big the big yep. ball in the gym. Yep, a lot of work on that. Uh, a lot of band work, so the rubber band stuff like that. Yeah. Um, a lot of uh, you know with a weight, um, you know the the the, um, the barbell, and so you're pushing the weight that way to, for your core. Yep. Rotational exercises. Kill it that way. Um, my lower back's got a fairly um, average lower back now, so I've got to watch what I do. But just everything, every single exercise I do, no matter what it is, involves my core. I right. always ignite my core because every time I throw a punch, I want to go, my core's loose, 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 bang, and I ignite, ignite my core right at the last second. And that's what gives you that pop, that explosion, that explosivity. So every exercise I do, no matter what it is, whether it's bench press or where well, I don't do bench press, but there you know, might be push-ups and or chins and whatever it may be, everything I do, I want to try and ignite my core. Always want to have my core on. So from here down to here, I want as strong as fuck, you know? Right. That's Danny's talking about basically his ribs down to the bottom of his thigh is where, we, where you're showing yeah. now. And so do you train... Um, how long do you train for in a day? You're leading up to a fight. You're in your peak training period. Um... I got a. All right, I'm just having a stretch here, mate. No, you're right. As we're talking about you, buddy. Um, yeah, my lower back sitting down, especially on these things, is bad. Um, sorry, what's the question, mate? So, in your in your peak, your in your peak fighting period, how much training are you doing in a day? Oh, it depends, Howie. You know, the older I've got, you know, I, because I've trained so hard for so long. So, in my shed at home, I've got a gym at home, yep. and um, you know, just downstairs, I've got a couple of bags hanging, and I've got this big rig. It's got all these things all over it. You know, you can, it's very practical, all functional strength. Big rig. So, um, you know, it's a big setup, so you can wheel all chins off it, and you know, hang bands, and you've got a rope pulling machine, and got the batter rope thing attached to it, and you know, and and, and my mate Hoy, he's fifty-seven, lives up the road, and um, and he's an old boy, but he's mate, there's more fat in a chip. And he is an absolute <laughs> animal. Is he? He used to be a publican. I met him a long time ago. He owned the Greenwood Hotel. And the Greenwood, my last name, Green, wasn't far. I used to go watch all the fights there. It was a really good sports bar back in the day, one of the best sports bar in Australia, two years in a row. Right. I used to go watch all the Delahoy Tyson fights, Costa fights back there. Then when I made the Olympic Games, he saw me one day and said, Oh, you're in the Olympic Games, mate, you know? Got me to sign a cap for his sports bar because he got all the athletes to do it. And then um, he he was actually he actually underwrote my first pro fight, helped underwrite my first pro fight. Went very well, so he got his money back straight away. But what did you win your first pro fight? Oh, sorry, my first pro fight in Perth, oh, in my eleventh right. fight. What was your first pro fight, Perth? <sighs> Not much, mate. Not much at all. Okay. It wasn't much. All right, you don't and, like uh, all the money, do you? Nah. Like under five grand? Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Go on. Yeah, and um. Yeah, shit, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Fair way, okay. <laughs> and so, uh, well under. Um, anyway, and then so, yeah, I became mates him over the years and he used to come to all my fights, come overseas, watch all my fights and become mates him. And he lives up the road and he's just a champion guy, but he just loves training, loves boxing, but loves training. And so we're always in the garage training. So I'll just put the, I'll put the buzzer on, put the timer on. We'll do 10 or 12 three-minute rounds, 45-second rest, and one round might be boxing. I'll just go hard out in the bag for boxing for 12 for, 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 for three minutes. Put the treadmill on an incline of you know 12 at, say, 8, 9 k's an hour. And so I'll just go bang, 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 hit the bag hard for a minute, and then go on the treadmill when he's over here doing his thing. And we just alternate, and then we'll do battle ropes. I'll do pull, rope pulling. I'll do 50 push-ups. I'll do 10 so gyms. high, high, high intensity. High intensity and then no rest in between. So just go from bang, bang, bang for three minutes, then a 45-second rest. doesn't matter what. Then I've got to be healer from my, on my house. So, I run, so we'll go one round, might be just jump outside, bang, up a hill, come back in, there's 30 seconds left, I'll pump out five chins, five push-ups, and then I'll sit there, 10 seconds left, I'll go, wow, on the bag. And then I might do one round of neck exercise or, you know, whatever it is. 
just all these different exercises, no like heavy weights or bench presses or any, everything's fast. Everything's right. explosive and everything's fast and high intensity because it just keeps you, it, it, for my age at 43, I gotta keep moving. But I've always trained like a demon because I get bored otherwise. And if I'm not sweating like a pig at the end of it, I've been trained, I don't feel like I've done the right thing. Hey, I feel like I've ripped myself off and I've cheated. Yeah. And so always, I've always trained extremely high, so hard. So I've got a very, very good base level fitness. So when I go in a training camp, my training probably goes down. I don't train as hard, but I train and as often as I normally do away from it. So it's opposite for most fighters. Most fighters train super hard in training camp and they do nothing on their off time. Whereas I'm always ripping. And then when I go in a training camp, I've got to really ease back and pull back and try and get my body in. So there's the fight. There's the day that I announce the fight. Well, training, camp stand, training camp starts then. There's the fight there. I want to up and down, up and down, up and gradually so I peak on the night of the fight hopefully, get to my optimum fitness level. And that may need two or three days rest, I might feel like I'm peaking. So my training consists of sparring, pad work, bad work, strength work, the busso ball, the med ball work, and it's, everything I do is all involved. Every exercise I do is all um, uh, uh, rotated around throwing a punch. Either it's got a punching technique in it, it's got a roll, it's got something to do with the, the art of boxing. Are you a gun on the speedball? That's easy. Oh, it's not, Danny. <laughs> it's if not. I if, if if I showed you how to do it right. and showed you the right way to do it, within a month you'd look like you'd look like you know on TV in a movie doing it. That's, it's easy because you don't need to be a fighter to right. use a speedball. Well, the best thing about speedball doesn't hit your back. Yeah, and it's just it, all it is is hand-eye coordination, and it's a little bit of conditioning for your deltoids, really, and hand-eye coordination. I don't use a speedball a hell of a lot because there's not a lot of practicality in it. Can you skip like we see in the movies or not? Yeah. But I haven't skipped for a long time. I don't skip very much at all now because my lower back, and right. that's fairly, it's pounding on your lower back and my knees. So I've got to, I've got to really monitor what I do. I do a lot of hydro training, so hydro training, yep. hydrotherapy, hydro whatever it is. Yep. I do a lot of training in the water. Right. A lot of shadow boxing in the water. A lot of if I have an injury in my lower back, whatever I'll do running and sprints in the pool. Resistance work. I do a lot of resistance training as well. Um, a lot of explosive work with med ball stuff on the Busso ball. Um, you know, just just all explosive, high energy training, but then, um, you know, and then I, you know, my sparring is pretty hardcore. So when we spar, we you know, we punch on. I'll bring in sparring partners from overseas, and they're here for three, four, five, six weeks, and they're they're is here. Is their job to belt you? Well, not to belt me, but yeah, yeah, put me under pressure. Yeah, definitely. You know, we we go hard. Like I had to send, uh, I've sent a couple of sparring partners home because of you know chopped them up and uh, chopped them up. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they got hurt or got injured or whatever, and, you know, all good. And it's amazing. I've had guys from all over America and stuff and, you know, even from Africa and from Europe, and they've been fantastic, you know, real good blokes and just willing to help out. And they like coming. They know if they come out here to Australia, they come to my camp, they get looked after. You know, a lot of guys, a lot of – going back to the boxing side of things, mm. a, lot of, a lot of the boxing promoters and trainers and managers that get their fighters to come out don't look after their sparring partners because they're just – some of the people are just pigs, and it's amazing. These training partners come and say, I can't believe you look after so well. So when they tell us what they've been through, I say, are you serious? Until you chop them up and send them home. Well, <laughs> you know, but that's, that's part yeah. of the, that's their gig. That's, you know, it's me. I'm getting, I'm getting chopped up as well too, but I'm uh, just yeah, still a durable. I don't want to hold you up too much longer. You've been really generous right, with mate. your time. Um, you, you're into 
a few different things and you know you've been fantastic with the whole one punch thing I know that's very close to you as well as that team Danny Green I mentioned and I you know you're not doing this so I mentioned your website don't I don't want people to get the wrong way but I you know I've had a look at it and it's for the average bloke that might be sitting in his car listening to this or the average girl um, what would you say to him about because the country's fat green and the country's getting fatter and you know that's not a pleasant thing to say but it's true isn't it yeah, it is, mate. It's like type two diabetes is something we give ourselves, and it's the the, the astronomical rate of, of of the increase in the in the in the cases is in this country is phenomenal. Mm. Uh, people have considered sixty five percent of males in this country are considered overweight or obese. I have a problem with that. Obese is a very strong word. It is the BMI, body mass index. I think it's a load of crap. I see guys that are considered obese, and I go, "You're considered obese. That's ridiculous." Ridiculous. You're a bit overweight, mate, mm. but you're not obese. That's horrific. So, yeah, I think it's. I think it needs to be adjusted how we look at ourselves. And the Team Danny Green program was was born over a pizza and a beer, watching a game of footy. It really was. And um, <laughs> so one second, I want to get on this program. Yeah, mate said, mate, of you know, Granny, what do you think? And uh, you know, put on a fair bit of weight. Used to play, you know, footy and used to work out a lot when I was young and. Uh, Kids taking over work, business is flourishing. I've got no time. Well, that's, that's the typical. That's the typical yeah. situation most people are in, isn't it? Yep. And so I said, "Oh, mate, well, yes, what would you do? You know, what, 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 what's your tips for me in, in a sentence?" And I was getting rattled rattle off. And he goes, "Man, we could have something there." And I've, all, my, I've always wanted to kind of, you know, be in this space because I enjoy it. It's, it's natural for me. I'm not going to go in. I'm not going to go in. Although I'm a carpenter by trade, I'll, you wouldn't want me, you know, hanging the door of your house. It'll fucking fall off but um so you're a good boxer shit I'm not carpenter. Good, yeah shit carpenter but uh <laughs> although i got carpenter of the year four times in a row apprentice carpenter of the year four years first year second year third year fourth year apprentice carpenter of the year in a row right my brother a, was a carpenter and he left school he did his trade i thought i'll do the same thing left school he did my trade do what my brother did and he's a builder now as well he's a proper carpenter and um i just left because i didn't want to do school anymore so i'll get a trade in case fighting his workout got something to fall back on and uh I got Paris Cup in the year four years in a row. He never got it, but I worked for the government, the Water Authority. We didn't do a lot of carpentry. <laughs> we did a lot of maintenance, a lot of formwork, a lot of concreting, right. a lot, no, lot, no, lot of scaffolding. No carpentry. Not a lot of carpentry, <laughs> a lot of maintenance, a lot of fencing. And so, um, and then I took home and they had awards every year. And there was boilermakers, chippies, carpenters, uh, electricians, uh, fitters and turners, welders, whatever it was. And they had the awards night every every year. And uh, I took out first year apprentice carpenter of the year because they had different sections, all different apprentices. Second year, I took out apprentice carpenter of the year. Third year, I took out apprentice carpenter of the year with a you know, award. Went home and showed the old man. My brother was there and he goes, you couldn't fucking hang, you can't even hang a door. And then the old man, Jerry, he goes, you're the only fucking carpenter there, aren't you, mate? Said, yeah. <laughs> what do you know? I've got a fourth year to row because there's like four or five chi- uh, sparkies and welders and there was different ones and I was the only carpenter there in my year, so I got it every one. So, so four-time world champion, four-time carpenter of the year. So your average bloke is listening to this. If you could say one thing to him, and I would say jump on your website and check it out because it's so practical from what I've seen. What's the first step, Green? Is it just literally getting and walking out the door and doing something? It's 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 the first step <clears throat> is actually biting the bullet and accepting, or not accepting, because no, not everyone's got a problem. But if, if you just want to, <clears throat> excuse me, improve your health and live longer and 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 get more productivity out of each and every day, and uh, and feel better about yourself, but feel better in general health wise, and and also mentally, when you feel when you are physically better, you are mentally better. It's, it's proven. And so 
I don't know what I'd say to a man. So many things I'd want to say to him, but really, just bite the bullet. Go check out the website. If it's not my website, go check out someone else's website. Mm. Go check them out. Just do it for yourself because you will live longer, hopefully, but you'll get more productivity. You'll get more happiness with your kids and your family, your wife, your partner, your mates, whatever it may be. You'll get more out of each and every day. I know I am, and I've just given up beer for five and a half months. I'm going to have another beer very soon, hopefully. But, I'll, you know, I notice a big difference. And everyone's saying, geez, you look good for 43. Having a beer for five and a half months. I gave up sugar about six weeks ago. And I feel a difference already because I'm a sugar fiend. Mm. And I feel a difference that I'm more level during the day. I'm not up and down, up and down, up and down. And that's because of sugar. And I, I gave don't... sugar up about three months ago. I didn't have a great deal. But it's just that I don't get tired in the arm anymore. There's but you're in good nick, mate. To it. You're in good You can see, you know, your veins are popping out. You're in good nick. You can see when someone's healthy, when they're truly healthy. Mm. I was really fit. So the last couple of years, I, you know, I've been on and off fighting. I, I'm fit as heck because I train hard. But I wasn't healthy because I was drinking heaps of beer, right. you know. And then, you know, when you drink beer, you eat twisties. <laughs> and, uh, twisties? That's a bit old school. Yeah. Are you a chicken man or a cheese man? Cheese. Okay. With beer, cheese, but in a sandwich, chicken. <laughs> chicken twisty sandwich. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, I wasn't healthy. And now I've given up the sugar. I actually feel a lot more healthier yeah. and I'm 43 and I notice yeah, a big difference. Through your face and everything, you just look fresh. Yeah. So And so all I can say to them is... Do it for yourself because you are definitely going to feel better and you're going to generally get a whole lot more productivity, happiness out of your life, whether it's work, but it's more for your home. It's more just for your, for yourself and then your kids will notice, your missus, your mates, whatever it'll be. You jump out of bed feeling much better. doesn't matter with my program, anyone's program, just do it for yourself. I love it. This, the way we normally finish this, Greeny, and you've been so good with your time, um, I think this is my favourite episode I've done so far, the Howie Games. I've got a couple of kids. says that to everyone. No, no, I haven't actually said that. <laughs> I have, only the boxer that could belt me. That's the only one I've said it to. Um, I've got a couple of kids at home. Uh, one is aged six, Sky, who operates under the name of the Pickle for some reason. And my young bloke who's four woke up a year and a half ago. And people that listen to Howie Games, we wear this story, woke up. His name's Mac, but he said, my new name is the Big Penguin. So he only operates cool. with the penguin. So I imagine always, if he imagine if he becomes a, a wrestler. <laughs> it was a good big penguin. It'll be good. It would be really good. The big penguin. <laughs> it's a sick name. That's it. My boy, I call my boy Turbo. Turbo. Yeah, I like Turbo because he's just gone hard from day one. <laughs> so I always sit down with the pickle and the penguin. Normally over breakfast, which you did this morning, I tell them a little bit about the person, and then one of them comes up with a question, and that's why we normally finish out the game. So you've got the pickle. Ah. Uh, this is what she wanted to know from you this morning. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Greeny Pickle here. Me and the Big Penguin had a push-up comp and I could do 10 and the Big Penguin could do 8. How many push-ups can you do? Now, I saw this push-up comp. <laughs> I'm not sure they were legal, but that's what they want to know. At your best, how many can you do? Oh, I don't know, man. I reckon it'll be at a, not not a great deal, not like a crazy amount. I reckon it'll be a pump out sixty. Sixty's good, but proper ones, you know, proper push ups up and down. See, up the and pickle down. and the penguin was a real lot of ass in the air with sort of bent arm type stuff. It wasn't really official. I don't I'll tell you think. a story. My boy Turbo yep. and my daughter are both very very competitive. They're How competitive old you beasts. Turbo's eight. Right, Chloe's fourteen. And I was sitting on the couch one night, only about a month ago, and I was talking to Chloe, and I could see him sitting on the ground. He was kind of going, well, where, where's mine? Where, where, where did he start talking good about me, Dad? I said, buddy, and I was telling Chloe about how good she swing or whatever it was, and I could say, I'll give him a bit of praise. And then I noticed him feeling a bit left out. I said, hey, hey buddy, 
I bet you can't pump out 30 push-ups right now. And he can pay, he normally pumps out 30. I said, and he's, I've been getting him to do it for a long time. I just wanted to be able, I wanted to be strong. I don't want to be, you know, a, a, you know, a, a, whatever it is. I just wanted to be strong. Yep. And uh, start him early. I said, but you can't push out 30. He just jumps up. And all he does, he only wears a, a pair of shorts his whole life. Doesn't wear shoes, doesn't wear a T-shirt. It's freezing cold outside, mate. Just a pair of shirts, pair of shorts. Same shorts too. They're holes in him. He loves them. <laughs> Gets up, just pumps out 30 push-ups, keeps going. Gets to 50. And I start laughing. You get to 50 proper push-ups Excellent. he gets to 50 and i'm laughing to encourage him thinking he's going to stop now and i couldn't believe he's pumped out 50 because his best is like 37 gets to 60 and i'm cracking up laughing to keep him going he gets to six, gets to 70 70 i 70, promise you and he's eight 70 push-ups and i reckon six or seven of them were half to three quarters and the rest of them were very good push-ups for an eight-year-old he stops i said you are off your head mate <laughs> he gets here he goes no i stopped yet dad 30 second rest, maybe 15, 20, 30 second rest. He gets that bad day again. And we're all sitting there just going, what's he doing? Because he's possessed when he gets like this. He pumps out another 30. He goes, I want to get to 100. I said, stop, mate. I want to get to 100. <laughs> he pumps out, gets the gets a 95. And I'm counting both. So I'm going 90, 91, 92. And he's going 93. He starts doing it with me. Maybe five of the last 30 were average. Pumped out 100 push-ups. Well, I think that's more impressive than your 60. Way more. I will tell the pickle and the big tell penguin. Tell the pickle the big penguin <laughs> that it's game on. Hey, mate, you've been great with your time. As I said, you've got a fight coming up, but by the time this goes to air, um, I'm sure the fight will be done. Good luck in that. It, it, how many more fights have we got? Uh, Who nah, knows? Nah, no, 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 I do. Maybe one more. What, one more? Yeah. Okay, Greeny, it's been a treat. As I said, you're a legend of Australian sport, but as I sort of tried to mention to you in a clumsy way that I think you've gone past your sport, which is... Bloody fantastic. Um, everyone in Australia loves you, um, which would be a nice place to be. Thanks for your time on the How It Goes. Appreciate it, and Appreciate all the kind words you've had to say about me over the years. Thank you very Good much, mate. Good on you, mate. Mate. Cheers. Champ. I want my money back. I want my money back. I want my money back. Just enjoy the show. Danny Green, champion athlete champion fella hope you enjoyed episode two of the howie games it couldn't happen without the great producing skills of michael james and the tunes again of billy mystic next week on the howie games wow a man that won i'm a celebrity get me out of here in australia an afl superstar loose cannon at times off the field a generous warm-hearted big-hearted fella who loves his family and has he got some stories to tell brendan favola let everybody know about the howie games if you could your mum your dad your brother your sister your grandpa, your grandma, your dog, your cat, everyone. Please get them to subscribe. It's free, of course, out every Thursday. That'd be a great help. We'll speak to you next week on the Howie Games. Peace. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.